Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. A listener production. You are listening to the Howie Games episode 142 part B, our Ashes extravaganza featuring a man that swings the ball around corners, Jimmy Anderson. Let's get stuck into the second innings. Right, I'm going to drive you around the twist now because I want to speak some real specifics with you and then we'll have a chat about the Ashes. But you've taken 632 test wickets. We'll get to longevity at 26 and a half. So it, it's incredible. Um, 32 fifers, three tenfers, extraordinary numbers, 269 wickets. In your opinion, what has enabled you skill-wise to take – well, that's that's nine hundred international wickets. In your opinion, what's enabled you to do that? Um, Why are you hard to face? I don't know. Actually, I don't know. That's that's a difficult Jimmy, one. For Jimmy, me, you've, you've for knocked me over nine hundred <laughs> international batsmen. You must have some idea. Well, uh, you know, some. I, I still feel like some days. I feel like I'm not. I'm not good enough, and I can't knock anyone over. Um, okay, so let's let's go specifics on those days. What have you learned to do now when it's not coming out right? Yeah, I think it, it's a, it's just about getting through those those points. So finding a way of getting through the, the the bad spells or the bad days. So I think I can get through those better now. Whether it's setting certain fields and, and bowling a certain way, um, there are methods of doing it. Um, but I think also on the on the flip side of that, yep, when when it's in my favour, I think I, I'm better in those situations now as well. I've got better at those situations. So when it's really swinging, not being—I I used to be scared of, as uh, you know, scared to death of going for four. So I bowl quite safe, uh, even if it was swinging. But now I think I'm I'm more likely to try and you know throw that ball a little bit fuller, risk that four just for a, maybe a nick, um, and I think that again. Just, just experience. And I, th- I think when you, you talk about how I've got those wickets, I think it's a it, just constant um, trying to trying to improve so much and develop so many skills, so that in any conditions I can f- I feel like a threat. Yeah! Oh, he's got him! Oh, what a beauty! It was worth the wait for James Anderson. What an absolute ripper. Shubman Gill cannot believe it. His furniture has been wrecked behind him. And England have their third. So whether it's in India recently, I, I had success with the reverse swinging ball. That's taken a, a, quite a while to, to master. Um, swinging the ball in English conditions. Um, getting wickets in Australia on those pitches with a kookaburra when it's not swinging as much. Um so just trying to find different ways of, of taking wickets and develop those skills. So one of the biggest things that, that helped me, I think, turn my career around, I, I heard a, an interview, I think it was years before, from, from Glenn McGrath, and he said he practised with a ball that doesn't swing and just tries to hit the top of off, top of off, top of off, top of off. And that is all I've then, from then on, 
rather than going into the, the practice ball bag and getting the newest ball in there mm-hmm. out, um, I'll try and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll find a, uh, an old sock that is really spongy and not going to do anything, practice with that and try and get wickets with that in the nets. It's great advice for all cricketers, and that's we'll have a lot of cricketers, young boys, young girls, people my age that are still trying to, that's, I think that's the thing about cricket. You know, I was at cricket training the other day and there's guys my age that are wanting to improve as cricketers. Yeah. So it, it, it's fantastic that, that we can have this conversation with you. So without giving away state secrets that Steve's just going to listen to and think, oh, right, that's what he's doing because that's not what we're, we're trying to do here, Jimmy. But but what what have you got in your armoury? Say in England with the Duke uh, and the ball swing. So you got your outswinger? Yeah? Yeah. What's the What's the... What's the key thing with your outswing? And not physically how to do it, but w- what are you trying to do in basic terms? Um, I'm trying to draw the batsman into a bad shot, basically. You know, if un- unless it's like massively swinging where you can sort of pitch it on leg and hit the top of off, which is very rare. Yep. Then generally, you're trying to trying to create a false shot. You're trying to create an angle where the batsman thinks it's coming in at him. And then you're just swinging the ball away. So you're dragging him into a forward defence, looking for an edge. That's that's pretty much what you're trying to do. What stage do you think, right, it's now time to make one go the other way? What are you looking for? Or, or is it what the batsman's doing or what you're doing or a bit of both? It's a bit of everything. I, I think it's it's a bit of gut, gut instinct when you're out there. Um, and some batters, I'll, I'll hold it back a little bit longer, make them wait for it. Some I'll show it early. To, to let them know I've got it. Um, huh. You know, a, a, an example would be KL Rahul uh, during the summer just gone. Um, I actually bowled from the second test onwards, I bowled in swing pretty much all the time at him. Well done, Jimmy Anderson. He's been in, in, in. There's the outer. Um, just because I felt that was the best way we were going to get him out. Uh, whereas right Sharma, I was bowling away swing predominantly. Anderson had a quiet morning, but he's back in the wickets. Joy for England. Boy, did they need that. So it's just, yeah, it depends on the, the batter, depends on the conditions, and, and generally, a, a, yeah, it's a gut feel when you're out there. Then you got the straight one, which I've perfected over 20 years, Jimmy. I've got no problem on, <laughs> on the straight one. But is, is there any other sort of – I'm sure there are variations, but what else is in the bag apart from the three balls that we know, the one that goes out, the one that goes in, and the one that goes straight? Is, is, there, is there other tricks in there? Um, well, oh, apart from the, the, obvi- the reverse swing. Yep. Um, I mean, the, I've, got, I've got cutters that, that work on, on slower pitches – um, but I think that what I love about bowling is the subtlety of it. So I can bowl, I could probably bowl three or four different types of outswinger. So depending on the, the how much you tilt the seam and how the ball comes off the fingers, you can bowl it in certain ways. You can you could bowl it so it come it swings right from the hand. You can bowl one where it's uh, almost like a temping bowling ball when you see that going down the the side and then comes in really late. Wow. Uh, you can swing on really late like that with the with the seam in a certain position. So I think that those are the things that I like doing. And certainly now, I feel like I've I've got the outswinger nailed. I've got the inswinger nailed. So then in practice, I'll be just tinkering with little things. What happens if I bowl with, with the seam position a little bit different and just see how it comes out? And how do you approach training, mate? That you've what are you now? Thirty nine, Jimmy? Yeah. Okay, so you've been going to training since you were 14. So that, that is 26 years of cricket training. 
how do you keep motivated to train and to improve and to continue to push forward? Um, it's a good question. I, I think it sort of filters down from playing. I still absolutely love playing the game. And I know that as I get older, or ha- as I have got older, that training needs to, or the sort of level of, um, whether it's in the gym or, or uh, CV or actually in the nets on skills, that's got to stay the same, if not get more intense. Um, I feel like, you know, you get you do naturally as as human beings get more muscle injuries as you get older. It's just a, a inevitable, really. So for me, I know, I know I've got to work harder at those sorts of, that side of things to, to try and keep me in good shape and to try and not get those muscle injuries. Um, but essentially, I think I still love the training as well. I still, I look, I, I think about going to practice and I still love diving around in fielding practice as much as I did when I was 14. Yeah. So I think having that love, love of it, certainly when I, you know, I see people retire from the game and they say that's the one thing they don't miss is the training, the, the nets and everything else. Whereas actually at the minute, I, I still love that. So um, I think that I'm, I'm fortunate in that respect. There's something about cricket, isn't it? I was speaking to exactly to Mitch Marsh about it the other day and he, he was recalling his his first 50 or his first cricket bat he got or, or certain net sessions. There's something more than any other game that I've played or had the, the, the privilege of commentating on. There's something... I don't want to sound corny to you, Jimmy, because it's your profession, but there's something magical about cricket and, and training and and the new ball and the, the smell of the grass and what's the pitch going to do today and even just the the, the, the stumps going into the ground and the, and the white marking. Do, do you know what I mean without being too poetic or I, it's not like I've been smoking joints here while I've been trying to come <laughs> up with these ideas. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean though, Jimmy? Do you feel that about the game? Yeah, I do. I do. Um the reason I fell in love with the game is is exactly what you just spoke about there. Turning up at the weekend, you look forward to it all week, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, <laughs> getting to the ground to, to see your mates at the weekend um, and to have a laugh about your mate who's been looking forward to it, getting out first ball, <laughs> uh, d- dropping a catch, dropping an absolute dolly, you know, having a beer in the bar after, just chatting through all this and having a laugh about it. You know, that that is something that, um, you know, we... I think we try and replicate it a bit, even at international level, because you've got to try and stay sane. Because you, can, you know, you can get so intense about it and so worked up because it is your, you know, essentially it's our job. We get paid to do it, um, but it is the game that we've. It's the same game we fell in love with as, as kids, and we, you know, we do well to remember that. Brilliant. The Ashes. This will come out prior to the Ashes. Um, you've got a long and storied career in the Ashes. I think you've won the Ashes three times, is that right? Yeah, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, no, you have. <laughs> you have. Yeah, no, you have. What does the Ashes mean to Jimmy Anderson and playing in the Ashes and winning the Ashes? Um, well, it, the Ashes is something that when when I was growing up, my dad had um, the 81 Ashes on uh, on VHS. Did he? On, on tape, yeah. So that, growing up, that was... So I, I was born in 82. Uh, my, yeah, so I was pretty much grew up on the, the 81 Ashes. Um, and just seeing that... Uh, I don't know. The, obviously, the history's there. And, and you, you grow up a, a, around people that... Uh, I found that the, the, the Aussies were really dislikable around then as well for an Englishman. Like, they were so good... 
a bit arrogant, you know, like just, I, I think about Merv Hughes just getting in people's faces and stuff, you know, it was, <laughs> it was so irritating. So to have the 81 Ashes there to go back to, uh, I know we won it in 86, 87 as well. Um, but that, yeah, it just sort of instilled that kind of, um, the passion for that rivalry. I don't know. It's just, it's incredible how that's, that's stayed over the years and that, you know, it's, it's grown if anything. Um, but I, I love it. I love playing in it. I love the battles that, that come up in it. Um, it's always, you know, the, the, there have been heated moments, but generally it's played in a great spirit. Um, and generally we've, we've always had a beer after the series and, and enjoyed sort of looking back over the, the moments of the series uh, not so much when it's 5-0, but if, when it's a bit closer, it's, <laughs> it's quite nice to, to have that beer at the end. Um, but it's just, it's, a, it's incredible. I love it. You, you talk about 5-0. So your first Ashes, um, I've written it down, here, 2006 in Australia. Australia 5, England 0. Oh, he takes it. Oh, there it is. A victory by 10 wickets. You can't do any better than that. 5-0, Langer not out, Hayden not out. The end of a wonderful partnership. 12 on the top of Australia. Just too good. How tough a place can Australia be to tour when you are getting absolutely smacked? And you're a young bloke too, Jimmy. What What are your memories of that? Uh, you, you hear so many English blokes say, wow, when things are going wrong, Australia is the hardest tour there is because the crowds and the wickets and, you know, the, the fast bowlers, etc. Yeah, it's tough. Really tough. Um I don't, I don't know if you saw any of the Ryder Cup. Yes. There were no European fans there at all. And that's how it feels like for, you know, you saw the Americans just feed off the crowd, just relentless, you know. Drinking um, beers after the third day, I quite like that as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so it feels like that. It feels like they're just, it feels like the, the Australian team feed off that, uh, off the, the sort of public... Uh, the public feed off the players and everyone just seems to be getting bigger and broader sh- shouldered as the, the series goes on. Are the blokes you're sort playing of... against or the crowd or both? Both, both. <laughs> uh, so it's just, uh, at that time, it was really tough and we, we didn't, you know, that, that certainly that 2006-07 series, because there were, there were I think there were three guys, uh, McGrath, Langer, potentially, and someone else who were retiring, oh. Maybe Warney as well. Warn, yeah, the three of them together in Sydney, yeah. So it, wow. it felt like that series was just this one big swan song for them. Um, and also uh, uh, sort of they wanted to get, get us back for 2005 yes. as well. So it, was, it just felt huge for, for you guys. And um, it was tough for us because we were a team that was sort of falling apart a little bit. But you turn it around pretty quickly so that's 2006, 2000, I say quickly, but 2010, you took 24 wickets and England won 3-1 in Australia. Now, that that's a monumental performance. Yeah, that was huge. You say turn around quickly. We didn't turn around quickly. Well, no, I was trying to be nice. It was it four took, years. I was trying to skip yeah, through the yeah, four yeah. years, Jimmy. <laughs> no, so that, that actually that sort of, I think it was 2009 when Andy Flower took over as coach and Andrew Strauss was captain, that sort of partnership was key for us. They worked really well together. Um, and we had real belief going into that that series that we could win. Ponding's on strike. Here's Anderson. 
this is unbelievable. I think along with that belief, we had, you know, the, the core group of senior players were all at their peak. Like you look at our top six then, we had Strauss, Cook, Trot, Bell, Peterson, Collingwood, all at the peak of their powers. Matt, Matt Pryor with the, with the gloves batting at seven, um, got, got useful runs. Generally, everything just felt like it came together at the right time for us then. We, we had a, a great team and everyone, as I said, at the peak. But still, to, to win there just felt like it did feel monumental for us. Like, it had been so long since England had won, won there. I think it was 24 years. Um, and, and having that sort of 5-0 as well for me, uh, four years earlier in the back of your mind. Yeah. Um, thankfully, not all the players had that. Um, you know, it, it does sort of... You do think if we get off to a bad start here, it, it you know, things could go badly. Fold in! Tremlett's the man. Put the beer away. Put the champagne on ice. 24 years of pain in Australia. Finally, they're beaten at home by England. Look what it means to the players. They've out-batted, out-bowled, out-fielded Australia. They are the better side. And finally, England beat Australia on their home patch. And we're better to do it. The SCG. So what is it like then? You talked about getting smacked. What is it like for the three times at the completion of a test match where you sit around in the rooms and the urn is there with you and your mates? Yeah, that was massive. So actually, I was I fell asleep straight after the the, the fifth test at Sydney. I'd had a I, party I on, Jimmy. A lot. Party on. I, I, <laughs> I I bowled a hell of a lot, um, and I actually went I went home um, in between the Perth test and the Melbourne test. I went home to for the birth of my second daughter, huh. so for like three days, and then flew straight back. Um, Gee, that's a well-timed mission. Yeah, well, I felt everything just, by the end, it had just caught up with me and I, I, yeah, I fell asleep and missed all the families coming into the dressing room at the end. Um, we, had a, we had a lovely moment on the, on the outfield at Sydney where we, we had a beer uh, and sort of an impromptu kind of went round the group and everyone sort of said what their favourite favorite moment of the tour was and what it meant to them. Um, and that's they're the sorts of things that, that stick with you, I think. Like, obviously, the, the personal... Uh, individual stuff is nice, but that those team moments, like you, we play a team sport to to win games, to win test series, and to spend moments like that, that's something that we'll always have as a group. Um, you know, reminiscing on those sorts of moments. More of Jimmy in a tick. No shortage of cricketers have appeared on this show over the past five years. The very first episode was Gilly on episode one. Episode four featured T20 World Cup winning captain Darren Sammy, a wonderful, wonderful man who came from very, very humble beginnings. My mum always ensured that she made us understand that, you know, be content but with what you have, but that doesn't mean that you cannot aim to be better because you could always be better in life but don't be greedy don't be 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 content so yes i didn't have the best shoes but you know every day we found something to eat there was something on the table whether it be the dry bread with water or you flour and milk we found something to eat we survived that's darren sammy on episode four of the podcast let's get back to jimmy 
If you'll indulge me, I will now give you, before I ask you, your favourite individual Ashes memory. Um, I know it's about the team, but individual. My, my the, the thing that sticks out in my mind is uh, Australia won the series in 2017, but I was lucky enough to be in the commentary box doing radio at the time with the, it would have been the first pink test between Australia and England. And there was this anticipation, was Anderson going to be able to swing the new ball under lights? And it was the pink ball. You took Pfeiffer and it was, it was one of the rare times, Jimmy, I've seen Australian supporters up and cheering for an Englishman destroying Australia. It was, I love that. And the other moment was when you and Monty, it broke my heart. I think it was a Carter when you guys <laughs> batted at the end and held us off. But that that Adelaide test for me, it was, as a cricket fan, which is what we all are in this game, it was exhilarating. It was brilliant. It was, you know, you just see me knocking the Australian order over um, and the ball was doing everything. It's, it's still vivid in my mind now. Another edge. Go this time it goes. Anderson gets the wicket at Bancroft for four and Australia a one for five. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of my favourite ever spells, I think, not just in the Ashes. Um, that was a you know a time where I just felt like every, you know, it was just, I was having so much fun because you, you've worked so hard on, on getting these skills and then getting the opportunity to actually sort of show off, I guess, in front of a full crowd. Um, it doesn't come around that often, so I, I just really enjoyed that. James Anderson's got a couple of slips in the gully, he's hoping, and it's nicked! Into the pad, no, it's not. It's LBW shout. He's out. Kawaja is out. I remember bowling round the wicket to Steve Smith, bowling in swingers, um, which was just, you know, incredible, really. Something I've never done before or since. It's been given. Did he hit it? Is it missing leg? Is it pitching outside leg? Steve Smith's coming down. Um, but, yeah, I love that. Um, I enjoyed the, the partnership with Monty as well. Um, broke, my, my heart, my fav- broke my heart that did Jimmy but anyway well I, I could I, I, I mean Australia was so unlucky then for me and Monty to bat for 45 minutes well you said it not me oh that must be it that's the final ball of Horrocks is over that must be it Ponte is disconsolate do they know it they're about to find out he must know it they surely know it. Yes, they do. The handshake means a draw. Test match. Extraordinary scenes here in Cardiff. Some something that we've never done since. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> incredible. But uh, my, well, actually, my my favourite moment of that was yep. we found out after that when we were nine down, the Australian wives and girlfriends in their box had ordered champagne oh. up to the box oh, to no. celebrate the win. So oh, that no. that made that taste a bit sweeter. <laughs> Um, yeah, but my, my, so yeah, my favorite ashes, um, yeah, was, uh, my mo the moment was, was 2013 at Trent Bridge. I, I got 10 in the game, um, and it was pretty flat wicket. Oh, no, I don't think so. We heard nothing on the stump mic. Now, England do have a review, they have two reviews, do they? Don't they? They're going to review it. This is the moment. But to win that game, um, you know, to, to to actually have that much of an impact on a team victory was was huge for me. So, uh, yeah, I love that. And uh, just one more moment I want to ask you about um, 
not on ashes, but passing Glenn McGrath as, you know, you've got Murali and Warren in front of you as far as test wicket cape, uh, uh, wickets. Congratulations, mate. Like it's an extraordinary achievement. But when you went past Glenn McGrath, especially now as you've told me that you watched him as a young fella growing up and you're training with those old balls, what was that moment for you when you became the leading test wicket taker of non-spinners in the – like the game's been played for a long time, Jimmy. It's not like it's been around for 15 years, test cricket. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I find it surreal, really, to, to to have my name in amongst the, the other names that are up there. The crowd are behind Jimmy Anderson here. They want it as much as he does. Oh, got it! That is it, Jimmy Anderson. Test wicket number 564. Uh, yeah, I just feel... I feel privileged to have been able, been able to play this game for so long. Like, and I know I've I, I have worked hard at, at my game and my fitness, um, but you need a lot of luck. Like as a bowler, um, to be able to play as much as I have is is ridiculous. Um, you know, and and to be to have the injuries that I've had as well, uh, which is which is not many really, considering what other people go through. Mm. Um, I just feel feel you know pretty privilege about that and um i think I, I do feel like i've been blessed with with a body that can cope with test cricket the greatest of fast bowlers now jimmy anderson going about glenn mcgrath well he's a champion amongst champions isn't he i mean there's so much goes into this so much physical and mental effort Longevity is remarkable in itself, but it's the skill level, day upon day, that is, I guess, what stands out most about Jimmy Anderson's brilliant, brilliant performance in an England shirt. And I know I've not, I've not played white ball cricket for, for six years now, which has helped as well. Gives me some time off to, to rest and recuperate and get ready for the next series. But I do feel like, I, yeah, I've, I've been blessed with something and that's why I want to keep doing it for as long as I, I possibly can I feel like I've uh, I'm in a good place um, you know physically mentally I can I can still cope with the pressure and still enjoy the pressure still enjoy competing so um, and it's a, an incredible game as well Test cricket's the easy the, easily the best format of, of cricket for me uh, just what it what it does to you as a, as a person um, like the, the the emotions you go through in over five days, just you can't replicate that in any walk of life. I don't think the ups and downs of it, the sleepless nights. It's just it's all worth it when you get that victory at the end. So um, yeah, I feel very fortunate and just want to keep going. So without glossing over it, longevity in the game. I think yours is the longest. Uh, period between your first five wicket and most recent five wickets, it's like 18 years or something. I might have got that wrong. Talk to me about longevity, physically, mentally, spiritually. Like, how have you continued to go when no other fast bowler has been able to go? 160 odd tests, mate. It's it's outrageous numbers. How have you done it as as a person, as an athlete? Um, I, I think that there's there's not like one thing that that. You know, it's just a, a a number of things put together that that help me with that, or have helped me with that. Like I said, my I think the the way my body is, I've been the way I've been built, where I've been put together. I've got a, a body that's robust enough to to cope with it, the rigors of Test cricket. Um, got an action that that's repeatable and and you know doesn't take a huge amount out of me. 
Um, and I've got the hunger for it. I've, I just love playing it. I love the, um, I love waking up, you know, struggling to get out of bed because I've put a shift in the day before. Love that sort of stuff. That kind of putting the hard yards in. You know, I get I get just as much out of Nonfa in thirty overs, but doing a job for the team as I do bowling ten overs and getting five. I feel like just um, just love doing that that hard work, putting your feet in buckets of ice at the end of the day because they're killing. You know, it's something that I'll, I'll definitely miss when I finish playing. So is there any uh, special diet secret or recovery method or ice bars or yoga or mental preparation or is there anything that you've done that, whether it's a small thing or a big thing that has really aided this process? I think um, I'd I'd be quite embarrassed to talk you through my diet for the first 10 years of my career. Um, Give me a snapshot. Give me a snapshot. Well, burgers and beer, basically. Right, right, right. I was really fortunate. I, I, I don't. I, I, I've started putting weight on a. Or I noticeably putting weight on a bit more easily as I get older. So I've got to be more yep. diet conscious now. I feel. But back when I was young, I was really fortunate. I, I didn't. I, I, I still trained hard, but my diet wasn't great. Um, whereas now, I, I really, I'm, I'm focused on. Um, like I say, trying to get as much out of me as possible in the next few years, however long it might be. So to do that, I know I've got to look after myself, um, maybe be a bit more smart when I when I do have those beers. Um, and yeah, just make sure I'm eating the right stuff so I can r- repair my body after a, a tough game or a tough series and, and refuel for the, for the next one. So um, yeah, that's that's been something that I've been really sort of really focused on. And I think also my training is, is I've, I've I've never sort of done one thing throughout my whole career. I've, it, it's changed. And I think sort of, you know, you, you go to the gym and, and things do change naturally. Sort of trainers will get a new fad and they'll start that. So we did yeah. yoga for a bit. We did Pilates for a bit, um, you know, and, but new things come along. We, we, we now, you know, when I first started, we all, all the batters and bowlers trained and did exactly the same gym session Whereas now it is so detailed to the fast bowlers do this or this type of fast bowler does this, this type of fast bowler does something diff- slightly different. And you look after the areas of your body that you put in pressure on, you put in forces through, um, and batters do something com- completely different. So I think it's really good how the, the game's developed in, in that in that sense that we we actually it's such more much more detailed now and and helps us prevent those injuries as much as possible. Before we get to the final question um, about advice for youngsters, I'll just uh, a few that pop into my head. Um, I'll fire some at you. Give me the ones that respond in your head if you're cool with that. Um, your favourite cricket ground? Mm, Lords. Lunch, best lunch out there on tour? Lords. Whoa, what do you get at Lords? So I said Lords twice there. I could easily said Adelaide for both of them as well. Oh, the old, the chicken with the plum sauce in Adelaide is... Incredible, incredible. Oh, it is, isn't it? Oh. I'd heard about this for years and then they brought it up to the media centre one day. I was like, I see what you bugged your own down. Absolutely. Um, what, what, what's a Lord's lunch? So say, so it's a batsman day, right? So yeah. Root's on 135, not out. You blokes are one for 300. You're batting down. You're not going to have to do anything all day and they pull out the lunch. Like, What, what are you hitting at Lord's? 
Well, normally, so so pre-pandemic, you'd go up to the to special lunchroom, which is above the away dressing room um, in the pavilion, and there'd be a, probably five or six things on the menu to choose from. Um, back back in day, I'd have I'd hope for lamb chops or a steak. <laughs> that'd be my that'd be my hope, and then. I'd want a sticky toffee pudding for dessert as well. <laughs> I love it, Jimmy. <laughs> that, that's the sort of thing you could get there. But now, like, I mean, the pandemic with the pandemic and obviously a nutritionist as well now is really cutting down on desserts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just don't get that anymore. But yeah, Lords is somewhere that traditionally has been incredible for food. But Adelaide, very close second. Yeah, the chicken and plum. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, one bloke you don't want to have to bowl to when he's in the mood. Coley. Coley, yeah. yeah. You had success against him, though. A little bit. First ball, Anderson has him. He is on a hat trick. He has picked up Coley. First ball, the outside edge, straight through to Butler. Yeah, I don't think I got him out for about seven years before this last series. But he, right. he's, he's just... he's um. Someone who, when he's on form, just phenomenal. Like, really hard to bowl at. He's 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 got. He's just got everything. Like, he's such a good player of all formats, of all situations. He can leave the ball well. Got beautiful cover drive. Clips well off his legs. Plays a short ball well. And the way he's like in white ball cricket, the way he chases scores down. Like his record's ridiculous. So yeah. I'd say Coley. So if it's he, you don't want to bowl to him. When you're sitting in the sheds at number 10 or 11 or 9, Jimmy, and someone is steaming in, you're thinking, oh, I don't want to have to go and face this bloke. Who's that? Mitchell Johnson. Oh, yeah. Awful. There's been history between Johnson and Anderson for six or seven years in Ashes series. Johnson just gave him the stare as he ran past. Why? What was it about Mitch? It was his angle. Like he, he um he found this angle to me or to to a lot of our left-handers around the wicket, bowling, and he obviously slightly low arm, bowling these slingy bouncers at ninety plus. Like 150 clicks, like it was seriously tasty. But the fact that you'd walk out there and there'd be no one in front of the bat, so you're like, right, okay, <laughs> everything's coming uh, towards my right ear. Um, yeah, and obviously he was quite, quite uh, aggressive with that, and, and liked to chat as well, which I, I quite enjoyed. But the the bowling, I didn't. Talking about a chat, I think it was Mitchell Johnson. It's just reminded me of the famous Michael Clark comment here picked up on stump microphones about breaking your arm. Is uh, we, what, what were you saying at this particular time? Because we didn't ever hear what you said, Jimmy. I don't want you to lift the lid on any great world Ashes controversy, but what were you saying that they were saying they are going to break your arm? And the umpires are getting involved, so it's on at the middle of the over at the moment. Get ready for a broken fucking arm. Give him a set of arm bags. I don't know. I, I've not said much on the field, to be honest. <laughs> Obviously, wind them up. Um, I, I, I did get a bit 
chirpy around that time. I've tried to curb it a little bit in recent years. Um, but yeah, we just seem to wind... I think definitely me and Mitch seem to wind each other up on the field. Um, had a few good battles with, with Shane Watson as well. We used to wind each other up. So it was, it was all good. Like, it was looking back, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, finish these sentences for me. Joe Root is so good because? Wow. Uh, Unless you don't think he's any good, Jimmy, and that will make a headline, so don't say that. Because <laughs> uh, he works harder than anyone I've ever seen. Does he? Okay. Well, that's a perfect answer. I mean, he's obviously talented. Yep. He's obviously talented, but like he works in the nets, but but in a way that he just he doesn't just do like loads of throwdowns or whatever. He does it in a controlled way, quality not quantity. Just knows what he's doing. And he's never he's never satisfied. Stuart Broad, I had the pleasure of interviewing Stuart when he was out here playing for the Hobart Hurricanes. Yeah. Um, and you know, let's be honest, you go in preconceived ideas about anybody in life and you have some preconceived ideas and I came away thinking, wow, he might be the nicest cricketer I have ever met. <laughs> um, just a lovely, charming man. What makes Stuart Broad so good? And you guys, I don't know how many wickets you've taken together, Jimmy, but Broad and Anderson's like bloody Lillian Thompson. He is the most competitive man I've played with. That's what is makes he? him so good, I think. He wants the ball. He wants that big moment. He want you know. He wants to bowl that match-winning spell. He's hungry for that. Final question, and you've been so good with your time. And we always end this way, Jimmy. For all the youngsters that are listening out there that want to achieve success in their lives, and you've had a tremendously successful sporting field, and are about to sell out stadiums in Brazil when you take your podcast on <laughs> tour, which I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, what advice would you give to the youngsters? It doesn't necessarily they want to be sports stars; they might want to be scientists or actors or plumbers or politicians. From your journey and what you've learned, Jimmy, what advice would you pass on to the youngsters that we're privileged to have listen to this podcast? I'd say just work, work hard. Like you're not going to get anything out of life if you don't want to work hard. Um, you know that. Hopefully, you'll get to do something that you love, love doing, which I've been fortunate to do. But I've worked bloody hard at it, and um, I think yeah, if you want success in whatever you do, whichever path you take, you need to work hard at it. It's a great answer, um, and I can't thank you enough. As I said, I sent you a text message. Actually, why, why did you say yes? I, I must admit, I, I didn't know if I'd even hear back from you. So I, it was, um, yeah, we, we've been in lockdown, and it gave me a real lift when you text back saying, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to come on. So thank you. That's an absolute pleasure. Um, I've, I've nothing else to do at this moment in time. Uh, <laughs> so I got no, you at a weak moment. <laughs> no, I, I, I saw, I, I do know, I did know about your podcast, and I know who's been on it, so I know it's... Uh, I know it's a great success. I, I was privileged that you asked. Mate, I really appreciate your time. I hope you're out here in Australia really, really soon taking wickets and who knows, leading. I'm going to say, Jimmy, I hope you, I can't say I hope you're leading England to an Ashes victory. Let's hope it's all square. Let's hope, let's hope it's all square and there's five tests and we all get through safely and everybody goes home uh, happy and you have many more wickets under your belt. Jimmy Anderson, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Cheers, Howie. I warned you, didn't I? I warned you. I warned you in the intro. I told you that if you listened to Jimmy, you would become a fan of Jimmy. If you weren't already a member, the Big Penguin and I now officially welcome you into the Jimmy Anderson Fan Club. It has an increasing number of Australian members. So be proud and be loud. 
Thanks to Jimmy for coming on the podcast. What I thought would take some doing took one WhatsApp message. What a star. May Jimmy's career have many, many more wickets left in it. Thanks for tuning in, crew. Do not miss next week, though, where we unveil Alan Robert Border, my childhood hero, and my Alan Border scrapbook of all things. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener